Well, welcome everybody to Bethany West Seattle. My name is Prentice. Uh, I'm the pastor here and I get to uh, teach this morning uh, a verse and, and a pastor that I'm very, very excited about. So uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, if you are new, uh, just know that after service we go downstairs and, sh- and have coffee and, and bagels and just get to know one another, and so I invite you to do that. Um, so uh, for those of you that have been coming week after week, you, you know what we've been doing. Uh, we're unpacking this letter that Paul wrote. So Paul was a guy that came after Jesus, uh, and he wrote these letters to churches on, on what it looks like and what it, what it feels like and how to live uh, as people of, that decided to follow Jesus. Uh, and so Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, uh, hence the, the letter, the book is called Ephesians. So we're studying that. Uh, week after week, and we're finally in chapter 5. And chapter 5 gets a little interesting, and so I'm really excited to teach and unpack this uh, for us this morning. Uh, And so uh, I'm going to read the passage for the day, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. Uh, And the verse that we're going to read this morning is just one verse. Uh, The the whole aspect of of chapter 5 and and into chapter 6 all hinges on this one verse. And so it's going to be really quick and easy. So uh, the reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21. And we've done Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, and if you need to catch up, uh, it's all online. You could, uh, you're welcome to go there. Uh, but for today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. Simply submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to read that one more time. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submit. Some translations might say uh, surrender or uh, be subject to uh, one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get a chance to learn from you uh, and to address uh, what you have to say and how it actually applies to our lives. We thank you for the gathering here where we can be in community together, whether uh, people are, are believers or just checking things out or just, just walking in. God, we are just so thankful for their presence. Uh, and for the many families and, and people that are enjoying this, well, summer vacation, uh, God, would you just be with them in their travels, give them safety, give them memories, give them laughter, uh, and may they come back refreshed. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but anytime I uh, open up my laptop or my phone and, and, I, and I go on social media, and I know a lot of us do, uh, I can't help but to look at some of the things that are written, uh, and ex- suddenly, just by reading a statement or a post or a picture or, or a, a shared link or whatever it is, uh, this person, whether it's a friend of mine or a family or even myself, uh, decides to, to lay a stake in the ground uh, of a position or a perspective or a conviction that, they, that the person might hold. Does that happen to you guys when you guys are just logging on or, or just checking things out on social media? Or, or I can't help but to notice when I'm driving down the street and there's people uh, on the sidewalks having big banners and megaphones shouting all sorts of uh, things and, and uh, signage on the lawn and on their windows or whatever it is. Immediately, people are laying a stake on the ground claiming a position or a, pers- or a perspective or a conviction that not everyone may 
agree with. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen with my own very eyes uh, communities and families and friends ultimately become enemies, whether they might use those words or not, but become enemies due to the, to the fact that they have these particular convictions and beliefs and perspectives, uh, or even the way that they are in relationship with one another differs, and they become once loved, but now enemies with one another. And, and of course, uh, in this really heated political climate, yes, I speak a lot regarding politics, uh, that there, there's been so much division and so, many, and so much brokenness when it comes to relationships. Yes, I'm talking about what's happening in our, in our world and the current uh, affairs and events that are happening, even in our own city. But I'm also speaking of just, just relationships. Whether it has to do with the political spectrum or not, uh, I've seen relationships completely severed. Simply because two people may have different convictions or perspectives... That I don't want to listen to one another. I mean, a few months ago, I met a guy uh, who no longer talks to his own brother uh, because of this unforgivable betrayal. I've met parents who've actually disowned their children because of the children's personal convictions, very or, or completely vastly different from their parents. I've seen marriages dissolve because of unfaithfulness of vows. And I, and I don't mean just infidelity, but even the whole scope of what it means to be unfaithful to one another. Uh, I've witnessed friendships blow up in, in silly spheres like Facebook or Instagram or social media avenues because of differing perspectives. Now, again, if you're anything like myself or, or much like society today, you have not only witnessed division when it comes to all aspects of relationships, but you've actually experienced the pains of it yourself. You have, and I have too. From the brokenness in, in friendships, maybe you can think back to romantic relationships and marriages with coworkers in our community. Perhaps you have experienced brokenness and division due to abuse of, of power, of systems and structures. In one way or another, this has been a reality. This, this, this sense of division and brokenness in relationships have been a reality in our lives. And I would say as your pastor, I've had the privilege to walk alongside many of you in these seasons. And I'm thankful. And I hear you. I truly do. And what I've come to realize and to learn, not even for myself, is this. It's not the actual conflict that becomes a core of relational brokenness. Because conflict in, in any sense of intimacy is bound to happen. As a matter of fact, conflict becomes a, a refining fire between two people or a community or a group. So it's not the conflict that is necessarily the core of brokenness in relationship, but it's the lack of ability or a willingness to seek reconciliation. To seek reconciliation. That in itself, the unwillingness and inability to come together to be restored, to be reconciled, becomes the heartbeat, the birthplace 
of division, not the conflict in itself. I can't, and maybe you can help me out, I can't think of a single instance where conflict, whether small or big, and believe me, I've heard it all, small or big, that can't be a refining fire in any relationship. I just can't think of one single instance where conflict can't be used to grow and to learn and to connect and to build intimacy with one another. The division is boiled down to this unwillingness to be reconciled. And what Paul is talking about is what does it look like to be reconciled? But this unwillingness to be reconciled really boils down to to three things. Uh, First, and and I just have it up here in case you're a note taker, uh, is this. It's this notion of saying, I'm right and you're wrong. It's an issue of self-righteousness. Second, the division comes down to this. I'm not willing to change. It's an issue of ego and pride. Or, or lastly, it's, this, it, it's this, this is the way it is. An issue of systems and power. When we talk about all of conflict and this unwillingness to come together to be restored and reconciled, it oftentimes boils down to one of these three things. And maybe you have said it yourself or thought it yourself or believed it yourself. I know that I have. I'm right and you're wrong. That's the bottom line. That's the issue of self-righteousness. Or I'm, I'm just simply not willing to change ego and pride. Or this is just the way it is, systems and power. And this is what Paul is speaking to, even in his time in the first century, about division and conflict. And it's the very same type of issues and conflict we experience even today. Uh, there is nothing new. In Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun, especially this idea of, uh, of, of division, of disunity. It happened then, and it happens even today just by opening up our cell phones and our laptops or computers. And we have to look at the time that Paul was dealing with, this writer to the, to the Ephesians. Paul was a guy, again, at, uh, who came after Jesus ascended into heaven that proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's message was, was all about following the way. Literally, they called it the way because to be a Christian was illegal. And so this kind of secret name was the way. And Paul's uh, job, he was a missionary, was to share the gospel of the way, the way of transformation, the way of healing, the way of joy, the way of salvation. This was Paul's message to his people. And, but we have to, what we have to remember is that Paul was writing this letter uh, in a real place and in a real time. A real, into a real people group, to the Ephesians, the, the Greeks that were living in Ephesus. And what we know is that he was writing from prison, and he was arrested. Why? For causing a riot. Paul was arrested for causing a riot in Ephesus. See, we talked a little bit about the historical context last, last week, but Ephesus was a, was a major port city where a lot of commerce happened. It was majority Greek, also known as Gentiles. So there's Jews and there's Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles were essentially anybody that weren't Jews. And Paul was telling these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, 
uh, to turn from their way of pagan gods and pagan worship, which was very prominent in Ephesus during this day, particularly the worship uh, of this goddess uh, Artemis, who was a very well-known and commonly worshipped goddess of fertility. And as Paul was, was in Ephesus, before prison, when he was in Ephesus sharing the gospel, the good news of the way to tell people, look, the way you're living now, the decisions that you're making, the, the way that you're treating people, the way that you're treating children and baby, that is not the way to live. That is not the way you were created to live. And it introduces this new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and says there's a new way that you can live, that you can prosper, that you can not just live life, but live life to its abundance. And people listened. People actually listened. And many of the Gentiles, uh, majority the Greeks, they turned from their pagan worship of various gods. Uh, and this was during a time where people practiced sorcery and magic. And, and these Greeks, these Gentiles, they turned from there and said, okay, Paul, I'm listening to you. And I want to know more about the way, about Christianity. And Paul's ultimate message to the people, to the Gentiles, even to the Jews that converted to the way, uh, the, the biggest message for them was this, your life must be different. Now that you've decided to take on, remember last week we talked about clothing ourselves uh, with God's righteousness and holiness. It's, it's actually like changing clothes. It's changing of ourselves when we make this decision to follow the way, to follow Jesus, that our lives actually look different. Again, the way we love, the way we treat people, the way we view justice and injustice and poverty and equity, all these things should actually look different through the lens of Jesus. You must look different. And it's because of this very message, Paul was, was I, would, I would say, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. He was hated by, ultimately, everybody on, quote-unquote, both sides. The liberals hated him. The conservatives hated him. Everybody hated Paul for this message. The unconverted Gentiles, the, the Greeks who decided not to listen to Paul, uh, hated him. Uh, mainly, and this was a big market, uh, it said in Acts 19 that this riot happened because these silversmiths, these people uh, that were in business of making uh, silver or metal icons of the various gods, particularly the goddess of Artemis, they would literally build these metal icons for sale. In the city of Ephesus, that was a big deal. And they would come and they would buy these icons, not just of Artemis, but of, of other gods and goddesses to put up in their house of worship. And, and, and what was happening in a more practical sense is that when people were being converted away uh, from those pagan worship, they had no need for those icons in, in those shrines and in whatever that they were building. And so in a practical sense, these people were mad because uh, no one, they were being put out of business. They were literally losing their income because the people that were being converted to the way no longer needed to buy this. And so in Acts 19, uh, the silversmiths would come to one another and say, do you see what this man is doing? He's ruining our business. And it caused a riot, which then led for Paul to be in prison. So he was hated by the unconverted 
Jews because, or unconverted Gentiles because Paul was disrupting the system. He knew that his actions would not only affect individuals, but entire system. And saying, my behavior, what I choose to do because of what I am convicted of, and not just Paul, but for the other people that have converted to Christianity, was to disrupt the major system that was happening in this major port city in Ephesus. And so because of that, these unconverted Gentiles, these Greeks, hated him. And then on the other side, the Jews also hated him, really his own people. Because the idea that, the idea that Paul was preaching was not only tragic, but blasphemous. What we see all throughout Ephesians is Paul is saying, guess what, Jews, well, everybody, those who claim to follow the way, to follow Jesus, are now on equal playing grounds. There's equality of love and acceptance of what Jesus brings to anyone who claims to be a follower of the way. Now, to the Jews, that's, like, that's blasphemous because they view Gentiles, uh, the, the non-Jews, particularly the Greeks, as second-class citizens. The Jews viewed them as people that were lesser humans than the Jews, And so when Paul comes in with this message saying, guess what, Jews, Uh, the Gentiles, the non-Greeks, these quote-unquote godless people that you once sought as people beneath you, guess what? The message that God is saying is everybody uh, is on equal playing grounds. The Jews didn't want to hear that. And so due, due to Paul's message, he was hated by the unconverted Jews, he was, or unconverted Gentiles, he was hated by the Jews, and, and it even uh, created a backlash between the Gentiles and the Jews. Uh, again, there were, there were riots, there was violence, there was conflict, there was division, there was, essentially there was racism and ethnocentrism between the two groups. And this is when Paul's message, this is what Paul's speaking to. And all of chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is saying, because you have changed your ways and decided to follow Jesus, your life must be different. In the midst of chaos and fights and conflict and arguments and division, you must be reconciled. And how do you do this? This was a crux of his entire message, this one line that we read this morning. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, in this time of conflict, division, hatred, brokenness in relationships, you need to look different than what the common culture said. The common culture of the day, especially between the Stoics and the Greeks and the Jews, was power, might, win. That was the message of the day. In order to live your life truly and joyfully is to actually take control and win. Win, win, win. That was the common message of the day, especially when it was a day uh, dealing with so much violence and warfare that to be defeated was to be shamed and to be victorious was to be elevated. And what Paul is saying, the message of Jesus is very different. You have once heard that it's all about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, seek revenge. If someone hits you, hit them back. If someone makes fun of you, make fun of them back. One up one another. And what Paul is saying is completely contrary to that day. It says, actually submit to one another 
in reverence. Reverence is Greek word phobos, where we get the word phobia. Not, not the sense of, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of Jesus. Out of respect and out of honor of who we know who Jesus is, submit to one another. See, Paul, through Jesus, was offering another way. It's not this self-deprecating way, uh, but it's in a way of submitting. That, again, that's not self-deprecating, but it allows you to step back, oftentimes step down. That forces you to look and view all of humanity in a way to understand that God created all people. All people to bear God's own image. And again, therefore, everybody, when we step back, when we submit to one another, we're able to open up our eyes to have this lens that everybody is created in the image of God and everybody is on equal grounds. And that's why in Galatians chapter 3.28, I love this verse. It says, there's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave or free. There's nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Modern day translation, hey, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your social status, your financial situation. It doesn't matter what gender you are. We are all one through Christ. But the primary uh, subversive tool to become one is to submit to one another. That is what brings unity. And I would say, say this, if you need to remember anything, just one thing this morning, it would be this. The way to unity, according to Christ, is through the way of submission. Now stay with me here. The way to unity is through the way of submission. And I want you to remember this anytime there's conflict, whether it's with friends, uh, your spouse, your coworkers, know that the way to unity, if you are truly seeking reconciliation through the conf- whatever conflict you might be going through, remember this. The way to unity, the way to reconciliation, the way to be restored is through the way of submission. Now, I know this idea of submit and submission can be a trigger because oftentimes our minds automatically go to a sense of abuse and misogyny and in, in inferiority or superiority and domination. And rightly so oftentimes, because that's the way it's been used, especially here in the West. Or, or maybe on the, on the other side, to submit is to be a doormat. To just shrivel up and just do whatever someone says or tells you to do. And, and really, that's not, the what, that's not what Paul's saying. It, it can't be what Paul's saying. It's not even how Jesus lived his life. But the word submit here uh, in the Greek is the word hupotasso, or in this sense, it's conjugated to hupotasomai. Now, you don't have to remember that word, but hupo is this word to be under. Tasso means to place. And and when it says hupotasomai, that's a conjugation of saying uh, this voluntary sense of I place myself under. That's what submit means. It's not someone forcing someone to submit. It's not this domination. This word submit in the Greek is hupo, to go under, tasso, I place myself. So to the way uh, of unity is for submission. And if that's the case, what God is calling us to do is to voluntarily place ourselves under. Now, stay with me here. Not necessarily 
under, like you're beneath somebody, but to step down to be on equal playing grounds. So and let me, let me flesh that out for you a little bit. Uh, throughout high school, and I share many stories of, uh, of my high school wrestling days, my glory days, right? Everyone, we have our own glory days that we just don't want to let go. Uh, and I remember throughout our wrestling season, there were so many different tournaments, uh, in one tournament, I'll never forget my junior year, and I'll never forget it because I won. No, don't worry about the applause. You keep that to yourself. We can, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you stories uh, downstairs if you'd like. But I remember this, this time where I won this tournament, and, and at the end of the, the meet, the tournament, uh, the winners would go on to this podium. <clears throat> and, and just like many other competitions, there's first, second, and third. And if they're being nice, there's fourth. And they would call my name, and I would go on to the podium, and I was first place. And you can imagine this podium where first place is obviously at the top. And this is kind of a confession here. I remember specifically feeling uh, really on top of the world, looking down on people. Oh, you got second? Hey, good job. Hey, third? Not, not bad. Fourth? Well, okay. And everybody else? Whatever. But I'm here, and I'm first place. I'm above and I remember having this arrogant and cocky attitude, thinking for some reason I'm, I'm over them, I'm, I'm superior, I'm better than them, which really necessarily wasn't the case. Maybe I had a better performance that day, but that, that really wasn't the case. And then I remember the reality check of stepping down, and all of a sudden we're all on same playing grounds. No longer was there a podium after I voluntarily, I stepped down, and now we're on the same playing ground. And I remember thinking, hey, do you guys, you guys want to hang out? Do you guys want to grab food? Do you guys, you know, there's this little restaurant that we used to go to after tournaments and after meets. Uh, and, and I remember with this one kid, a good buddy of mine, uh, saying, oh, Prince, sorry, I can't. I have to do homework. I have to study. And then I remember thinking, oh, man, I do too. And, and it was such this reality check because a minute ago I was on top of the world thinking, man, I am better than you. I take a step down because it was over, and then all of a sudden, man, I, you have homework? I have homework too. See you later. And suddenly, we're all on the same playing ground. And I love it. To me, this is kind of what Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says. It says, for, the, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so here's what I'm saying with the story. The point is this, and this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that what it means to submit is this. If you thought of yourself as equal to begin with, then to submit, to go under voluntarily, then yes, it would be a deficit. Then yes, that would be self-deprecating. Yes, that could be dangerously self-hatred. But because, especially in this time, the people that he was talking to didn't think that they were on the same playing grounds. They didn't think of one another as equal. As a matter of fact, the people that Paul was speaking to thought they were up here, that they were on the first place podium. And so when Paul says, if you see yourself so high and so up here, take a step down. Now, if you think of yourself up here and you go under, you submit voluntarily, then where are you at? Then, all of a sudden, you're on equal playing grounds. 
You're equal to one another as both image bearers, equal image bearers of God the creator. Now quickly, I'm going to do this. The whole point of Ephesians chapter 5 was be united with one another in the midst of so much chaos. And I'll give you three examples of what that might look like. I can't spend a ton of time on this uh, because there's a lot going on here. Uh, And I just want to emphasize it wasn't the point. The point was to be united with one another. And he says, but I'll give you three examples. The examples come from marriage. The examples comes from uh, the parental units and their children. And the third example is with uh, slaves and um, slave masters. And so, again, you might have more questions after this, uh, which I'd be more than willing to discuss this with you. But his first kind of example, his first pointer to the unity <coughs> comes in verse 22. Now, I'm going to read this. You've got to stay with me here. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject or to submit to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. Now, this ver- these verses in the history of Christianity has caused much confusion. And, and, and although I can't unpack the three, all heavily the three examples of what it means to be united with one another, to submit to each other, I, I will spend a little bit more time on, on this. Okay, uh, so first of all, <clears throat> We're going to do a little bit of a word study here because um, the, the, the Bible originally, surprise, surprise, was not written in English. As a matter of fact, it's been translated hundreds of times over. The original language in, in the New Testament was Greek. The Old Testament was, was Hebrew. And so what, I, what I'm about to say uh, might shift some paradigms. You might get ticked off at me. I don't know. Let's talk. But I want to talk about the word submit in verse 22. Remember, the word submit in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence uh, for Christ, is the word hupotasomai. Now, so if I read this in English, it'll say submit to, one, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, here's the deal. If you go to Ephesians 5.21, which is a slide for that, <clears throat> you just have to trust me. <laughs> All right, hupotasomai is in red. Submit uh, to one another, phobos. Uh, well, sorry, you can't, defi- okay, anyways. Just trust me, that says submit to one another as if uh, in reverence to Christ. Now, verse 25, 22, the word hupotasomai, submit, is not in there. It's just not. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you lean conservative, it doesn't matter whether you mean liberal, it doesn't matter if you're in between. If you read the Bible, uh, in the original text, in verse 521, it says, hupotasamai, and verse 522, the word submit is simply not in there. It just says, uh, ultimately, if I had, a, had my own translation that reflected more of the, the Greek, it would be verse 521. It would say, submit, go under, you know, be subject to one another, uh, because of your reverence and your fear for, for Jesus, for God, 522, wives, 
do that. It's like an, do that for your husbands. It's a, it's a, it's, verse 522 is contingent and it points back to 521. It's not this separate sentence. It's this emphasis on 521. It's this, it's this gentle nudge. It, it's Paul's saying, hey, Husband and wives, submit to one another in reverence to Christ. And then 522, wives, will you, will you do that? Will you submit to one another? If, like it says in 521, it's this gentle nudge. And don't worry, husbands, they get the same nudge too. To participate in this mutual submission of one another. Again, verse 21 is the point. Submit to one another is the point. And then in verse 23, right after that, doesn't Paul, you don't make this very easy, okay? He says this, he says, for the husband is the head of his wife. Now, 522, that's pretty easy because the word submit's not in there. It's pointing to uh, 521. But in 523, it says, for the husband is the head. Now, again, we have to remember, we're dealing with first century texts and questions uh, and issues through a 21st century lens, and we just can't do that. that would, that's arrogant and that's irresponsible. And so when it says for the husband to be the head, it's this Greek word kephale. It's not up there, but you'll just have to trust me. Uh, the, the Greek word for head is kephale. And this word kephale is never, never in the Bible uh, referred to, or, or the head is never referred to as, as a figure of authority. It just isn't. Rather, it's better understood, and I would agree with this, is this idea of source. So not head as an authoritative head, but head as in the source. And so oftentimes, kafale is not just used for the body, but it's used to describe a river. Kafale is the head, is the river source, and out of this river source, the river flows. And so what Paul is saying is that, husband, become the source, a source to your wives. A source of, source of what? And actually, if you read on chapter 5, it says, be the head, kephale, the source to your wives, like the source Jesus is to the church. And then if you read on, uh, I won't read it right now, but you can read it in, in verse 25 and on. It describes Jesus not as the authoritative figure of the church, though in other places there are. So we have to, that's another thing to consider. There's plenty of words for leadership and authority and superiority. And oftentimes, yes, Jesus is attached to that word for the church. But this time, this word source, kafala, it's not used that way. It's used as... Uh, Look at Jesus, the way he is the source of encouragement, of love, of nourishment, of washing, of cleansing. That's what it says in the rest of chapter 5, which many people refuse to, to read. We, they just want to read verse 522. Wives, submit to one another. Boom, that's it, out of context. And if you read further, it says, well, it says that Jesus was the, was the source, that the kafale to the church, providing nourishment and encouragement and love and, and forgiveness and cleansing. And Paul's saying, husbands, be the source where all that comes from to your wives. 
And many husbands and wives both need to hear this, even this morning. What you have to understand is Paul was contrary to the day. See, we're talking about a time where women were, were mistreated. Their, women were considered less, lesser of humans than men. It was a very patriarchal society. Women could be discarded at will by men. They can be seen and used as objects. And yet Paul comes with this radical redirection, this radical redirection. Very countercultural. And, and I would say for his time, Paul was probably a feminist. And so much misreading of his text would claim the opposite. Poor Paul. And it's no wonder there's so much abuse in the church, so much manipulation, so much coercion, so much misogyny in the church. But instead it says, women and men submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands be the source of love like Christ loved the church. And how did, how did Christ love the church? He died for the church, paying the ultimate sacrifice of self-denial. He became a servant. He became uh, human as God formed him. He became human to die on a cross. That was Jesus in Philippians. This is so important. Read this or, or listen to these words. Jesus, who, though, he was in the form of God, this is Philippians chapter 2, did not regard equality with God, was something Uh, as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, be like Jesus, serve like Jesus did. How did Jesus serve? He came under. He submitted. You want to talk about ultimate submission. Jesus submitted to God, left the Godhead, came down and became human and died a criminal's death on a cross. So is submission in the Bible, is, is submission to be subject to one, to one in the Bible? Yes, emphatically, yes. Submission is in the Bible. It is. You can't deny that. But a more biblical submission is this mutual submission, submitting to one another. How can I love you well? How can I hear you well? How can I serve you today? How can I come out of my own natural disposition in order to be in healthy and holistic and thriving relationship with you? Oftentimes we don't ask that. We ask this question of me, what do I want, how do I win and I say this all the time, you can technically win an argument or a debate, but end up as a losing party. Now, the way you do your own marriage, that's your prerogative. If, as a couple, you decide that it is better for one person to be the head of the household, good for you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You can be married in the way you want to be married, but we have to remember that is not a biblical prescription. A more biblical prescription would be to be mutually submissive to one another, and that's what brings unity. And so in your next argument, in your next fight, in your next uh, talking about uh, chores or the children or whatever it is, what would it look like? How would it change your relationship in your marriage, in your dating relationships, in your uh, friendships even, to be seeking a mutual submission. I want to know how you will best hear. I want to know how you will be best loved. And that's the whole idea of the five love languages. I'm not, I'm not 
necessarily promoting that. I, I think it's a great concept. That when we acknowledge the way that people are loved, even if it's against our natural disposition, to love them that way because they hear that and receive that the best. Amen. Thank you. Someone's with me. And I'm going to, sorry, I'm going too long. I'm going to wrap this up. So first, he says, Jesus says, or Paul says, be united with one another. Example number one, it's in marriage. How to be united? Be mutually submissive and, and submit to one another. Example number two, it says parents and children. Let me just read this. Children, honor your parents. Okay, let me just say this. This was nothing new, especially to the Jews. In the first century, they always looked back at the Torah, the Old Testament. It says, honor your mothers and your fathers. Honor them. So this was not new news. It's part of the Ten Commandments. But what was new was when it says this, but uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, don't abuse, don't tear down, love. And it, and it may not be the sense of mutual submission because uh, there's a difference, there's an inequality in the family system, but there's an equality in the way that we were created in God's image. I mean, have you ever considered your son, your daughter, uh, first and foremost, him or her being a son or daughter of God? I mean, I feel like, I don't have children, but I feel like that would change everything. It ends up being a stewardship issue. So first and foremost, understanding that your children belongs to God first. This, your, your child is a child, is a son or a daughter, not of you, but of God. Hopefully that changes the way you even bring them up. So parents, watch how you talk to your children. Build them up, bring them up, because the way you treat them today will actually matter for tomorrow. And Paul understands that, and that's such a radical statement because it was easy to say, children, obey your parents. Done, no big deal. That's, that's common language. But Paul to say, now parents, these aren't your subject. These aren't people that you just own these are God's people. Treat them in such a manner. And, and you know, so that hopefully that's not controversial. Number three, it's slaves and slave owners. It's a six nine. It says, "Masters, do the same." See, here's here's a funny part, not funny part, but very radical part. It's slaves. Uh, Paul says, slaves, obey your masters. Paul wasn't condoning slavery. He's saying, he was speaking into the time, saying, slaves, enthusiastically obey your masters. Well, yeah, no duh. Like, that's part of the culture. And that's what it means to have slaves. And then in 6.9, it says, here's the kicker. And masters do the same with them. Essentially, stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven. Well, Paul is saying, slave master, you guys have ultimately the same master. You're on the equal playing grounds. There's equity between you two. Therefore, do not show partiality. Serve them enthusiastically is what Paul says to to the slaves. Serve them enthusiastically without complaint. And the funny thing is, and then he says, slaves, do the same. I mean, can you imagine serving one another with that kind of attitude towards each other. You're, you're not below me. You're not my slave. You're not my servant. 
We both have the same masters. I mean, imagine going into a restaurant and the host says, hey, welcome to this restaurant. How can I help you? And it's like saying, well, you know what? Sit down. Let me help you. What would you like? I'll go into the kitchen. I'll make it for you. I mean, it's so radical and so uh, different the way that Paul's speaking. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to, we got to wrap this up. I'm going to ask the worship band up. I'm so sorry. I, I'm gone too long, but I'm really passionate about this. And I want you guys to understand not only the Bible, but the point of chapter five was this connector of, do you see disunity? Do you see disruption in your lives? The way out is through the avenue of submission to submit mutually with one another. Can you imagine a world that would submit to one another? We can go on Facebook, we can go on social media and not see all this chaos and fighting. We can go back to posting pictures of food and awesome trips and our babies. I would love that. Keep doing it. I mean, that is the world that Christ wants us to live. But the way of unity, the way of mending brokenness, ironically, Counterculturally is about submission. And I invite you to take part in what we call the communion, the breaking of bread, gluten-free, so if you have allergies, this should be safe. I invite you, this is for everybody. It doesn't matter if this is your first time, it doesn't matter. Like this table is open for all. So I'm gonna invite the ushers forward. And we're going to sing a song, but as you're singing, when you feel compelled to come forward, take the, the, the bread, dip it in the juice, and partake. Because it is the ultimate example of what Christ did for us, submission, submitting himself to death on a cross. He says, this bread represents my body that was broken for you. This juice, uh, this cup represents my blood that was shed for you, for the church. I want to serve you, it's what Jesus says. May this be an example. May this be an example of how we do relationships in the midst of chaos and brokenness and hurt and division, whether it's with your family, your spouse, your parents, your coworkers, your employees, your neighborhood. May this be the mentality that we have. Let me pray, we'll sing, and we'll partake. God, thank you so much. We love you. Be with us in this week. May we remember this idea of submission is so countercultural. That's what you've called us to do. Give us boldness and strength to do so. Thank you for your blood and your body that was broken for us on the cross. The ultimate sacrifice of defeat over sin and evil for our sake. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.